Welcome to the Diversity and Inclusion On Air podcast. This podcast is a program of the Association of American Veterinary Medical Colleges Diversity Matters Initiative. The podcast explores various issues related to diversity and inclusion in the veterinary profession and provides the AAVMC an opportunity to offer ongoing diversity programming to our member institutions as well as all veterinary professionals. My name is Dr. Lisa Greenhill and I'm the Senior Director for Institutional Research and Diversity at the AAVMC. So on this episode of the podcast, we're discussing coronavirus 19, 2019. As we're all grappling with the pandemic, we know that we're doing that in multiple, multiple ways. We're washing hands. We're only leaving the house when absolutely necessary, at least many of us are. Some of y'all still need to work on that. Um, and we're monitoring symptoms as they may or may not occur. But there is, of course, much more going on. And there are a number of diversity and inclusion related topics that I'll be exploring on this show as well as a few subsequent shows as well. So right now we're recording this show at the end of March 2020. And yesterday there was a flurry of news articles on the New York Times, USA Today, NBC News also did a segment reporting that in just last week alone, over 650 racist incidents against um, Asian Americans took place. Now, I would actually say that that is probably a very low number because for folks with marginalized identities, they and I will tell you that there are many, many, many incidents of racism at the micro and macro levels that go unreported daily just because we don't have time to sit around and tell everybody every single minute thing that happens to us. But please know that 650 seems like a really, really low number to me. We have seen the very deliberate use of the term Chinese virus by political leaders. And in my social media comings and goings, I know I've personally seen calls for reparations from China due to losses associated with the pandemic, which is just mind-boggling to me, seeing as we are still in this country having conversations about reparations for the enslavement of, of Black folks in the U.S. So this is really just a really interesting time in our history. Now, as we know, racism is not new, and it is one of the things that I think is constantly evolving. Racism is constantly evolving. It's constantly keeping up with the times. It's constantly keeping up with the latest new thing. It's very evolutionary in that way. These incidents that we're seeing now related to COVID-19 are really just kind of joining a long, ugly history of discrimination against Asian Americans that include the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882 the incarceration of Japanese Americans during World War II, and of course, stereotypes about Asian Americans as both model minorities, but also perpetual foreigners. So yeah, this is, this is you know, not new to us. This is just kind of same old, same old. In our opening segment, in this segment, I'm really excited, not excited, but you know, this is a conversation I think we need to have. We're going to talk about anti-Asian discrimination related to coronavirus pandemics. Today, joining me is Dr. Tina Tran, president of Multicultural Veterinary Medical Association. Welcome, Tina. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me, Lisa. I'm excited to be here. Tell our viewers and listeners about yourself. Okay. So just real briefly, I am by trade a small animal veterinarian. I currently work as a clinical relations lead veterinarian and associate professor at University of Arizona, which is one of the newest veterinary schools in the United States. 
And like Lisa mentioned, I am also president of the Multicultural Vet Med Association, which is a fairly young organization for anyone within the veterinary profession. So veterinarians, veterinary technicians, students of veterinary medicine, we all come together primarily on the Facebook group and discuss things that have to do with diversity and inclusion within the veterinary profession. And a little bit about myself personally, I am born and raised in the U.S. I um, am Filipino-American, and both my parents migrated from the Philippines to come here uh, as young adults. Hey, thank you. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Great. So why don't we uh, dive on into this kind of sticky wicked issue? Um, So what are you hearing about, you know, anti-Asian discrimination as a result of the pandemic? I think probably one of the most concerning things, because as you mentioned, Lisa, uh, discrimination against Asians specifically is nothing new. I know that I have, uh, you know, in some way, shape or form dealt with it throughout my life. And most times it's microaggressions. They're very subtle things. But I think what is most alarming to me, and you'll see in the media, it's become a lot more brazen. It's not just a passing comment on the street. It's not a look. It's now become physical assaults. It's become vandalism and very racist things are being said very loudly. You know, people are now afraid to leave their homes, not just because of COVID-19 and social distancing, but they are physically concerned about their own well-being being identified as Asian uh, in the United States. Yeah, I mean, you know, in some of the articles that I was reading just before the show, I mean, folks are, well, one, what's also really kind of telling is folks don't realize or acknowledge the diversity within Asian communities as a diaspora, as a collection of ethnicities kind of under this large, you know, word that we use, we say Asian, but there are a lot of different ethnicities kind of falling within that category. And it is very clear that folks cannot tell the difference, which is also has another long history of bad behavior in this country. But we're seeing folks, I mean, folks are being spit on, they're being yelled at, they're being physically attacked, they're being turned away from from stores. I mean, yes. you know, it's it's just really stunning, you know, just how brazen it has become. You're yeah. right. You're right. And, and you know, I, I think what worries me most is that this didn't just happen. I think that for, you know, a portion of the public, these are thoughts or feelings that they have had that have been below the surface. And I think COVID-19 just brought it to a different level. And it took those thoughts that they maybe had in their head and, and with some influenced by political leaders and, and, and those that are out in social media to then take it to another level to almost justify some of their actions and some of their feelings. And, and that to me is, is very scary. Yeah. I mean, and, and I'll, I'll be the, the baddie and go ahead and say it. You know, this labeling that we saw um, a week or two ago of, you know, COVID-19 being referenced as the Chinese virus, really, I think that we were already seeing a lot of kind of bad and ugly behavior, but it seemed to exacerbate that. And yes, it did kind of let the floodgates open as, as almost this kind of permission. 
Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I will say, if you look at the news related to COVID-19, the discrimination uh, against Asians has been going on almost the entire time. I mean, there are reports back to the end of 2019 where Asians were being discriminated against specifically in regards to COVID-19. But I think it's just amplified since then. And I agree with your statement in the introduction that the reporting of 650 racist actions is, is likely very low. Because as you said, uh, you know, we don't have all day to report all the misgivings right. that are done to us. And, you know, we have to live our lives. Uh, you know, kids are at home being homeschooled or being schooled yeah. online. We're all trying to work remote if we can. And yeah, it's, it's you just don't have the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I tell people that, you know, it, the the ability and adaptability of racism... <laughs> under any circumstance is will never cease to amaze me. And so, you know, as a person living with multiple marginalized identities, like if I literally had to stop every day and say, oh my goodness, okay, well, I dealt with some some racism and then I dealt with some misogyny and then I, I like, I just wouldn't even get up in the morning. Like, <laughs> it's just, you know, it's, it's a lot. And so that 650 while, you know, notable, it was kind of like, that number doesn't even sound like that's like one neighborhood. Like, you know? yeah, it seems like that's what you would get in maybe a week or so. Right. You know, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. So I, yeah. I agree. I, I think it's it's likely un, underreported. Yeah, yeah. And so you know, one of the things that that I've learned, and I mentioned this kind of at the top of the show, is mm-hmm. that there is a lot of ignorance around the diversity of Asian ethnicities and, and even very specifically within the veterinary profession. We know that the, the profession, according to data from the Census Bureau, is only about 7%, the, the profession, not just the student um, population, but actual DVM professionals, there's only about 7% of veterinarians in the U.S that are identified as people of color. And within that, there's only, I think, like, you know, two or 3%, maybe even less than that, identify as Asian. Now, among students, it is one of the fastest growing populations, but it's, but it's still, I mean, when I say fastest growing populations, I mean, like, 4%, 5%. Really, really small. Right. And it stayed, you know, and it's been really level for years. We're seeing a little bit of an uptick. Um, but you know, what I'm seeing is that there's just a lot of ignorance around things like understanding different groups' cultural beliefs and practices across the Asian diaspora, especially when it comes to medicine. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I mean, you know, we were talking before the show. I mean, it's like folks don't realize that Eastern medicine is a thing. <laughs> yeah. And and so I, I've been a veterinarian for just about 20 years. And so I've seen a little bit of that evolution of a somewhat opening of the mindset to things that are not traditional Western medicine, which which is good because you think of things like acupuncture and herbal medicine that are very much associated with Eastern Chinese medicine. And when I was you know, when I graduated in 2000, that was very much poo-pooed. It was like, we didn't even spend a sentence talking about it. Whereas now you're seeing more of it in veterinary curriculum. You're seeing it more in veterinary practice. But I think there's always been kind of this notion that it's not real medicine, that it's made up, 
that it's not based on any kind of research. And, you know, it, it, we have been doing research on it. There's not a lot of published research on it. But, you know, I think that veterinarians, they tend to have a difficult time accepting that there may be something that works as well or maybe even better than Western medicine, which is what most of us are taught in, in the United States. Yeah. Um, and, you know, yes, it comes from Asia. And so I think there's some concern about the legitimacy of it. But I think that, you know, the most we can do right now is really just to continue to educate people, to give people the opportunity to learn um, how Eastern medicine can be assimilated and used alongside Western medicine. But it, I mean, it is, it's a whole training process. There's a whole educational process with it. I mean, it's not typically something where you just pick up a book and then all of a sudden, you know, everything. I think there's a lot of learning that has to happen to, to learn those modalities. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, yeah, there is research that that there are different modalities that really can be very effective depending on what it is that you're looking to treat. I think it's also really important for those folks because sometimes I also see folks that have have really kind of embraced some of these natural and holistic medicine practices that, again, sometimes and largely um, originate from Asia, kind of almost put space between their practice and the roots of the practice. Like it's, it's, there's like a disconnect. And, and we see that not only in medicine, we see it in yoga, we see it, which is again, another, for folks mm-hmm. that don't know, like Southeast Asia, like all of that's still Asia. Like, you know, that, that there is this distancing of the origins, the origin stories of these practices from how we see it practiced in the U.S., Right mm-hmm. or or in the West more more generally, and and you know I think that it's really important for folks even when you are more embracing of Eastern medicine or other kinds of you know yoga meditation all these kinds of things that you also really do respect the origin story of those practices. I think it's really, really important to 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 really you know put some respect on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. Yeah. What are some things that you think veterinarians can do to really support um, their Asian colleagues and students during what is, you know, a bit of a challenging time? Yeah, I think, you know, just broadly, um, and this isn't specifically just with what's going on right now with COVID-19 and and the anti-Asian sentiment, but I think identifying yourself and making it known that you're an ally to those that are being discriminated against, I think is is very important to know that you have their back, that you are there to support them in any way possible. You know, it's not a great time to educate others right now because we're all trying to put out fires right now. But, you know, I oftentimes think that times like this are an opportunity for people to learn, you know, because I, I will say that when I was younger, you know, when I was high school age, college age, and early in my veterinary career, I was kind of an angry Asian person. I did not like when people would ask me if I know so-and-so Tran, because that's one, that's my married name, to my husband's Vietnamese. And Tran is actually the equivalent of Smith um, <laughs> or Brown. It's it's a very common Vietnamese last name. So, you know, it's it's hard for me to say, do I know, you know, 
build tram in New York City? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> and so I, you know, for a long time, I was very angry when people would display what I thought was their ignorance about Asians. You know, the fact that they stereotype and they generalize. But I think what I've learned over time, especially as I've gone through my veterinary career, is that it's really an opportunity to educate others about um, Asians and, you know, that we are not all the same and that, you know, there are some cultural, there's some cultural uniqueness about each part of the, of being Asian that we're not all the same. I mean, I'm Filipino. I Filipinos don't traditionally use chopsticks. I never used chopsticks until I was in college. And then it was, it, I was a hot mess. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and Filipinos traditionally use their hands, you know, when they eat. That's a very common thing in, in the Philippines. You know, so to me, it was an opportunity, you know, what used to be me being upset and angry about people asking, you know, do, do you eat with your hands? Do you know how to use chopsticks? you know, these very broad statements about Asians, I took as an opportunity to say, well, you know, actually parts of Southeast Asia do that. You know, some of my, uh, you know, relatives, the ones I grew up in the Philippines do that, but in general, we do not. Or, you know, we would have a conversation about my husband who was born in Vietnam and then came to the U.S. when he was young and kind of his struggles that he has had being you know, I mean, English was not his first language. And so mm -hmm. being in the U.S. as a young child, having to learn English in a time when, you know, being Vietnamese was not a great thing to be in the United States. Yeah. <laughs> so he had yeah. a lot of struggles. So I guess for me, I think being an ally is important. Being being very overtly supportive of your Asian colleagues is also important. Showing that, modeling that behavior is, is all very good things. And then being able to, to have some open conversation about what it is to be Asian, not just in the profession, but you know, in the United States, especially with COVID-19 going on right now. Great, great. How can MCVMA support its members and colleagues you know, <laughs> during this pandemic? So a, a lot of the, the conversation that we have is in our Facebook group, which is open to all veterinary professionals. So we have had some interesting conversations, open dialogue about COVID-19, the anti-Asian sentiment that's going on right now, and just discrimination in general and uh, racism in the United States. I think it's opened up some very good conversation. And the other thing that MCVMA is doing is we're actively looking at opportunities to help not just veterinary professionals uh, during COVID-19, but also human medical professionals. Mm. One of our exec board members is actually putting together a group that hope, you know, if, if at some point the human uh, medical professionals need to expand their abilities to help serve, that veterinary professionals could step in. And so we've started, she has started a list of individuals who's, who are willing to help in, if called upon, which I think is great. Great. So yeah, we're, we're trying to do what we can, but you know, MCVMA is very much a volunteer organization like a lot of other veterinary organizations. We all have personal lives, working <laughs> lives, you know, so we're trying yeah. to balance it all. Yeah. But I do think that, you know, the professional part, there's a really, I guess, great example that I think all of us could be following. We're seeing a lot of interprofessional collaboration happening right now. I mean, everything from thinking about, you know, possible use of ventilators to mm -hmm. volunteering, yeah, as, as um, additional health professionals with testing, um, you know, all kinds of, of things. And I think that this is, you know, the, the, 
positive upshoot of this is that there is an immense kind of calling for collaboration. What we also need to see is is an immense, uh, <laughs> you know, calling for grace and empathy and kindness and and caring for one another. Um, yeah. It's just basic humanity, folks. Like, like don't be trash. Uh, it's kind of, you yeah. know, what I think that that I think that there's a really great opportunity for us to follow the professional models that are emerging. Yes, I would agree. I think that out of uh, you know most crises, there is some real good that happens. You know, this a collaborative effort, this you know trying to come together as one. I think is great. But then in other instances, yes, there's some negativity that comes. You know, I think when anyone's under some amount of stress, I think you start to see some people's true selves come out. And so I think that's also what we're seeing, unfortunately. Yeah. And so my last question for you, and I'm so glad that you talked about your kind of angry Asian phase, (laughs) because I think that, I mean, I think that that's a part of normal identity development um, for all of us, right? Where we kind of are dealing with parts of our identity where we're just like, this part, like, you know, it doesn't necessarily suck, but there's just, it comes with some some additional baggage, right? So what advice would you give to your Asian colleagues and especially students who identify as Asian, DVM students, what, you know, what would you tell your former self and what would you tell your colleagues and students now? (laughs) So I guess I would check the anger at the door for one thing, because (laughs) I think what, what self-reflection has taught me and time has taught me is that in most cases, people are, are they're just not aware. They're, they're not being decisively pointed. They're not trying to anger you. They're not trying to be racist. And so I think a lot of times they just don't know. I mean, if you don't grow up Asian, how do you know about the different Asian cultures? It's unless you read about it or you have lived in that part of the world for some period of time. And so I think, you know, for for Asian veterinary students and, and veterinary colleagues, I think being open to the idea that, you know, this is a learning opportunity for those around you. You know, if you are experiencing discrimination in one way, shape or form, I think it needs to be reported. Like we had mentioned before, the 650, that's like a low, low number. You know, veterinary uh, academic institutions have a reporting system that you can do so anonymously. So I encourage students to do that. And, you know, there's actually, and I wrote it down, there's, I encourage people to report any types of hate crimes going on, especially right now with COVID-19. So there's the Asian Pacific Policy Planning Council working with the Chinese for Affirmative Action Group. And they just last week launched a website so that you can report any incidences that deal with hate crimes um, against Asian Americans. I think it's called the Stop AAPI, which is Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders Hate Reporting Center. So you can go online to look for that. Lisa, I can can send you the link if you need that afterwards. So anything dealing with coronavirus and harassment, discrimination, racism, I think all of those things should be reported so that we have a more realistic understanding of at what level we're dealing with. And I think more than anything, just be safe. You know, don't put yourself in situations where you might become a victim. And I know that's really hard because you would like to think you can live your life, walk to your car without any problems or hop in an elevator and nothing's going to happen. But I think given the current state of the world, I think that it's in your best interest to be more aware of your surroundings and to not potentially put yourself in in dangerous situations. 
Yeah. And I would also extend that to social media, right? Yes. If you see something, just, just, just close that tab. <laughs> just close that tab and walk away. <laughs> it's yeah. just not the likelihood that it will be productive in, <laughs> is probably pretty slim. Um, and in fact, on social media, I can almost guarantee that, you know, depending on the type of engagement, it, it, it won't be, it won't be it probably the learning, it probably yeah, it won't, won't be the learning experience that you hope it is. There's right? not a lot of happy endings that happen on social media, just in general. Right. And so, you know, I think that, that um, certainly a lot of folks have turned to social media during this time of, you know, physical distancing and socially connecting. Folks are trying to do that on social media, but, you know, it certainly comes with its own side effects and unintended consequences. So I would encourage people to be mindful of that. And, you know, if you see something, say something. And for um, the rest of us, be good allies. Be good allies. And it's, it's okay to swoop in and, you know, be the ally and take that heat. Yep. Yep. I agree with everything you just said. Tina, thank you. This has been a great conversation. I think a really important one given all that's going on in the world. I really would love to welcome uh, MCVMA back to the show. This is the second time we've had you on the show, had MCVMA on the show. So thanks for that as well. Also for being so accommodating (laughs) to get this show scheduled so quickly um, because we really are trying to put out timely content. So again, thank you so much. Yes, um, thanks for for having me, Lisa. And yes, uh, I I enjoyed the experience and I I hope to be on again uh, uh, as MCVMA or in some other way, shape, or form. Where can folks find MCVMA? So the Multicultural Vet Med Association, you can find us on social media. So I think you just need to search for the group. It is a closed group, so we would have to approve your membership. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, and we also have a website. So you just have to search Multicultural Vet Med Association. Awesome. Wonderful. So this has been another episode of Diversity and Inclusion on Air. Tina, thank you again for being on the show. For our viewers and listeners, be sure to subscribe to the show using your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple, we're on Google, we're on Stitcher, we're on all of the things. And also be sure to like us on the Facebook page at AAVMC Diversity and Inclusion on Air. So with that, we will end the show. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Thank you.